This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom, welcome to Practical Spirituality here in the old city of Jerusalem, the Asia Torah. We're looking at the Western Wall. We're talking about resentment of God. And uh, the anyway, the, your version of God is probably a big part of the problem. Because think about it. What is the assumption? What is the assumption when you are resentful of God? What's the assumption? The assumption is that God is some kind of sugar daddy who should be, like, giving you everything you want, okay? But that's not who God is. You know, I heard it said recently, I forget what you have, I said it, that, that so many of us have been looking at God as if it's a grandparent. <coughs> yeah, what's a grandparent do? They hand you a candy every time you run by the edge of the table, yeah? Because they're not paying the dental bills, and they're not dealing with the cavities, and they're not nothing. They're just like... <laughs> And I'm, I do it myself. You know, I'll, I'll, I, in my shul, after if you say brachas, there's a little amen station in my shul. That the traditionally art shul has an amen station for hundreds of years. And you come into shul and you say all your brachas at the amen station. There's a whole gang of like people who are like OCD about saying amen, and they all sit around and just say amen for like an hour as people come in to make their brachas. But when you finish saying amen, you get two. Candies. I just pop them inside my my Shabbos robe for my grandchildren later, you know, because I'm not dealing with any of that. I'm just gonna, you know, buy off a grandkid or two. You know, with, you know, how much contact do I really have? I'm very busy, and they don't live in my house. And they're finally over for Shabbos, and so here's your candy, kid. You know, have a great day, and they'll remember the, the candy they got on their way to go play with the Hot Wheels. You know. So, so the, um, we've been looking at God to just hand us random candies, but parents, if they're good parents, are, are sophisticated in their parenting. And they know how to withhold, and they know how to cause pain, and, and they know how to turn their back on you when they're upset, which for a child is like a solar eclipse, you know, and, and they, they, know how to, they know how to grow you. That's their job. The job of parents is to grow their children. And the only reason you're on this earth, according to many great rabbis, was for your growth. Of course, that's not the purpose of creation, but since you're here, God's going to like purify you through growth. And, and, and if God's putting you through the ringer, it's probably because you're going to grow that way. Like, that's how you're going to grow best. And so I think we're making the assumption that God's this grandfather who's got to, like, always treat me nicely or else. And, and everything's got to go my way and my health has to be great and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And all my relationships should be amazing and I should always be very wealthy and healthy and everything should be perfect. You know, and we should never have to grow. But no one's like that. Like, I'll just show you in this classroom, for example. There's no one here like that. No one here has that. So, for example, please raise your hand, and everyone's got to raise their hand, unless what I'm about to say is not true. Raise your hand if there's something you're going through in your life. I don't care if it's huge, I don't care if it's tiny, but there's something, whether big or small, that you wouldn't mind being on the other side of it. Raise your hand. Okay, well, that's everybody. That means all of us, and that's amazing expression of God right there is that God has 100% of us going through something. 100% of us. 100% of us are going through something. 
and, and just, uh, I say this a lot, but I'll just, at risk of repeating myself too often, I'll just repeat myself again for all of you who raised their hands, is that <sighs> would you trade the things you've been through in your life if you had to also trade who you've become? No. So the answer is always no. And once in a while someone says yes, but when she says yes or he says yes, it's because it's still too fresh. But if you would ask them five years later, they'd be like, no, I wouldn't trade that. Or six years later, I wouldn't trade that because they've finally got enough distance from it. It's not so fresh. And they're realizing that they get to go forward with the tools they got as a result of it. You know, I get, as a, as a public speaker, I get to be much more free and courageous having been trolled. You know, I've been attacked. Years ago, I was attacked multiple times, and, and I lost sleep, and I got heartburn, and couldn't digest my food, and didn't want to eat it, and, and spent, uh, you know, felt so, so much indignation, my mind running a million miles per hour of, of how dare they, you know, like if someone actually is trying to help the Jewish people, that's who you're going to attack. You know, find a neighbor to attack. You know, like, don't find someone who's actually trying to make a difference for our people. And, but I'll tell you, in retrospect, I've been able to do so much more and say so much more because I had to become someone impervious to that kind of troll. <coughs> you understand? So since then, I, I, now compared to what I said back then in my talks, it's they're unrecognizable. It's not even the same rabbi, because now I can actually share what needs to be said. You understand? Because people are scared to death. By the way, it's, I want to just share with you what it is to be someone who's self-expressed. Because I know people are really scared of being self-expressed, and they don't want to get taken out, especially when they're in any position of power or rabbi or, or in the community or financially or or in the public eye of any way. No one wants to get taken out. <coughs> so they want to be really careful not to overexpress themselves. But they, what they forget to mention, what they forget to think about is the risk of not expressing yourself, both in this world and the next. Because, you know, if you're not expressing yourself in this world, you're dead. We are called, what are human beings? In Hebrew, the classifications are, you know, mineral, plant, vegetable, mineral, plant, mineral, vegetable, animal, human. In Hebrew, it's domem, somer, chai. And what's a human being? Medaber, speaker, expressor. And so, yeah, you're scared. What do people think if you express yourself? Well, you should be more scared of what you're going to feel in your life if you don't. And then there's, of course, dealing with God afterwards. And God's like, great job having said nothing. Just placating people your whole life. Mr. Nice Guy. Nobody wants or respects. You know, other than, you know, placating you back. So so make sure you said something while you were alive here. Make sure, make sure there was a difference made. Because it's a giant risk not to. And years ago, I realized that I'm, I would rather risk I'd rather risk getting, getting trolled by, by various idiots than, than, uh, than risk having done nothing. 
And, and one of the ways you know you do anything is because of the pushback. I'm not talking about trolls. Trolls are just, you know, trolls should just like, what should happen to those people? I mean, not that I've cursed them. I'm not cursing. I'm just saying like they should, they need like, they need a serious, serious uh, personal growth program to get in touch with why they just love pointing fingers when anyone with like even a little personal growth knows when you point your finger at someone, there are three more pointing where? Everyone say right back at you. Together. Right back at you. Right back at you. So I always know if I'm going to point my finger at someone, most likely I got triggered. Something inside me is getting triggered. And gee, I got to deal with it. You know, maybe I should deal with that. Maybe I should think about what's coming up for me instead of trying to knock out anyone else who, who's bothering me. I mean, I, I heard uh, Jordan Peterson today say, uh, he said, uh, if everyone bothers you, you might be the problem. <laughs> it can't, it's statistically impossible that everyone's the problem. Likely that they're okay and you're the problem. Anyway, uh, but let's stick with, uh, let's stick with assumptions of God that cause us to be resentful is that we assume, oh, no, 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 I was, I was going to give you something else. Since you wouldn't trade what you don't, since you would never trade what you went through in order to, if you had to also trade who you've become. And I, that whole thing was a long parenthesis of me being happy that I suffered and I did suffer badly. And I really went through the ringer. And the, and so since we would never give that up, that means whatever you're going through now, stop for a second from trying to get out of it. Stop trying to get out of it and go inside and ask yourself, what's coming up for me? Which is the famous classic line of someone who's mature and into personal growth, always asks, what's coming up for me in my situation? So I'm going to take a moment, close your eyes a moment. Someone mentioned meditation, so everyone close your eyes. Mine are closed too. I never ask people to close their eyes if mine are closed. I noticed someone's eyes are looking at me right now, so please close your eyes as well. <coughs> it's so strange how you can feel someone looking at you. I said close your eyes. Okay. And uh, anyway, close your eyes and think about that thing you raised your hand that you'd rather be on the other side of it. Think about it nice and strong. That that's what's bothering you lately. Take a deep breath. And as you exhale, say, what's coming up here together? What's coming up Now listen. Inhale. Ask what's coming up What is it bringing up inside of you that you need to grow through? Inhale one more time. What's coming up And now listen. Listen to the voice. The first thing that comes to your mind is the answer of what it is you got to grow. It's likely something embarrassing. <clears throat> likely something that you, it won't it wouldn't look good if people knew about it. Keep breathing. With your eyes closed and breathing, you're now asking yourself the question. What's more important to grow through it? 
I would wish it went away so I could look good. What's more important, to grow through it or to look good? And then inhale, whisper the words, I'm going to grow through this. Inhale. I'm going to grow through this. One more time, inhale. Say the words, I'm going to grow through this. No matter how it looks. Inhale. Exhale. Opening up your eyes. I always think about some people who are like very big public people. Either because they're very wealthy or they're leaders or they're well known for some other media reason, whatever it is. And getting the news that the new their newborn child's down somewhere. And you can watch it every time. You know, I can just as a rabbi, you know, I I get usually called soon after that by people I know. And the uh, but you watch them turn this amazing corner. The corner that I just was having us all turning right there. You watch them turn a corner in their lives. Life gets much more powerful because you know this one you're not gonna be able to hide. And and, and therefore, so much else can now be grown through. That was also, you know, inconvenient for them in their public image. And so, you find them growing tremendously, just tremendously. And, and so many of them consider it their gift, like their little gift. You know, I have a dear friend who just, his, their kid's been the gift of the family. It's all of them. Was the gift. I mean, besides the fact that he threw balls down the central back. <laughs> Which, of course, you know, having a central back put in your, your mansion is like, it's a nice thing that the housekeeper could just hook up the vacuum cleaner to the wall. So your Down syndrome kid, you know, or autistic kid, you know, throws a bunch of balls into the central back. So much for that. Now, um, so we make this assumption that God's got to be like, we know what God should, how God should be treating us. And since he's not, so we judge him and find him guilty. And he's not guilty. He's, He's just... He's running the ultimate personal growth center. And I can tell you, you know, being a leader of a personal growth center, I make people very uncomfortable. It's not easy to go through in my program. The possibility is rough, and I send people home. Not every seminar, I would say every two or three seminars, I look at a guy or a gal and I just say, I know you signed up, you'll be fully refunded. This isn't for you because it's just going to be too rough. 
But what we're doing is we're simulating the very chaos that gets thrown into life that causes us to grow, but in a much safer, controlled environment so that we can grow. Because many people don't have time for God's seminar. Because God's seminar is on over a 70-year stretch or 80-year, 90-year stretch. How much you be blessed to 120? It's a long seminar. And there's kids growing up in your home who don't have time for your seminar. It's too slow. And you're too slow. I mean, maybe historically, God's schedule for your life and your, the seminar you're in in your life, maybe historically people grew better. I don't know. Things must have been different. It could be there just weren't as much expectations. People lived in little towns. Like, I love my little town. I live in a little town where everybody knows everybody and everyone knows everything about everybody. And you just can't hide nothing. We're all in each other's laundry. And it's such a blessing. And I would never have appreciated the blessing except for the fact that I remodeled my house, which made me move into those big buildings on the other side of Yafo. You know, the, all the, the Froom community over there. I was in a, uh, you know, off Shmuel Nubby, uh, where all the Americans live in Northeast. I call it the Northeast. In Northeast Jerusalem. Or I call it married student housing. Because it's like a, universities have these dormitories for marrieds. Usually graduate students, but they called Married Student Housing. When I called the Northeast Jerusalem Married Student Housing, like Ramadish Bowl, Arzia Beer, Malotab, area, you should know when I call it Married Student Housing, it's with so much pain in my heart to watch kids who were raised here and speaking fluent Hebrew and, and being totally integrated without the pain of moving here later. And then watching their parents rip them out of this country and so overly invest them into into Agmas Nehar, the land of, of the land of to foreign land, to the point where they can't even move back here years later because it's just rough to bring a kid into the Israeli system when he's nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen. I mean, so it's rougher here, and the, uh, so it's very hard to move your kids there. So you can't. And then, then I see these kids, and they're these like little dandy, you know, they're like these dandy 1940s dandy uh, Long Island kids with their blue suit and their with the knickers and the purple socks and the little booties and they're like, they're so wet behind the ears and have never pushed themselves against the life the way had they been had their parents had just stayed here and let their kids be weathered by this incredible place and be people who smell of terror, not of fashion. And, and they, they would have been... And by the way, many of these kids are tremendous Torah. You should know that some of those dandies, they open a Gemara, forget about it. They'll, they'll just mop the floor with you. And uh, I, I get to learn with them. I mean, some of these boys, and they also daven incredibly. Like, who's been to the white shul in... Uh, in uh, where is that? Farakaway, oh my gosh. It's a makum avoida. You know, it's a makum avoida, a place of service of God. So, so even though they're wet behind ears, American softies, they're, uh, you know, there's still plenty of turrets like these kids. Avoida, it's, it's really something. And I love walking around mansions on Shabbos and not seeing one car drive by 
for an entire Shabbos, and there's no roadblocks. See, in Israel, if you want no cars on the street, you need to block your road on Shabbat. But you can actually walk around there <coughs> and just no cars drive by. You smell Shabbos is in the air over there. It's, it's pretty incredible. That's amazing. So I'm, be, I'm trying to be low, even-handed. But don't take your kids out of Israel. And I always tell the parents who send their kids here and, and pay for those years of married student housing and, you know, you know, young marriage learning Torah here. I always tell those parents, you know, you know what I tell them? It's my new friend from Burpunk. You know what I tell those parents? I say, you're missing the funnest years. You're missing the funnest years. Keep your kids near you when they get married. Keep them near you. Watch them grow. Let them eat at your house. Let them eat at the in-law's house. Have them around. They're so cute, the couple. And then next thing you know, there's babies. And hold your grandkids and be part of their lives. When your next kid gets married, you send those suckers, the first ones, you send those suckers to Israel. And let them go build in Israel for you. And take on the next young couple. And let them have babies. And play with those babies. And it's just the cutest thing ever to have those babies around. And the next kid gets married, you send the, the, those suckers to Israel. And you just keep going and going. Next thing you know, you turn around one day, you're the only one who lives in America. Because your whole family lives in Israel. At which point, you know, you have different wealth when you're in your 60s. You know, just, no matter how wealthy you were, likely that you're much more wealthy in your 60s. It's just a statistical reality. Guess what? You can afford a killer pad in Eretz So, in fact, you can afford one in town. You can afford one in the country with, let's say, I had eight kids with eight little prefab Scandinavian wooden cabins all in a circle around a fire pit with a big old Weber barbecue set up. And you just laugh your way to the bank the rest of your life. In the Holy Land, all your kids. And, you, and all you got was nachas the whole time because you had your kids with you. You always had the newlyweds nearby. But they had it set up exactly the opposite. They send them here. I'm not going to describe, re-describe my terror when they rip them out of this place. But what happens when they get back? They got to work. They got to get an apartment. They got to buy a place. They got to work. They, they're now cogs in the American system. Who knows what will happen to the grandkids, Right? Like they're, they're Americans, you know, you can have American grandkids and, and now they're part of a whole different statistic now of, of Jewish continuity, you know, imposing Judaism on a foreign land. And, you know, and we all know what this year was like in New York, you know, this was a nasty year. Like, of course, only reminiscent of pre-war Germany and the, and, and it's like, what are we doing with the next generation? Why are we why are we planting them so deeply in foreign soil when we could have had them here and enjoyed the young ones, enjoyed the little one, the young marrieds? I love my young marrieds, and I'll tell you the truth: when they get a little older, <laughs> no offense if you're watching kids, but you know, go wherever you want. You know, like, like you can go anywhere, but having them nearby in those young ages is just a blast. That is the most fun, and. Uh, and so uh, that was today's class. And the main point about resentment is, is to get rid of our assumptions of God and realize that we're, we're in the ultimate personal growth seminar. 
you got to go through a lot to be in such a seminar. And uh, actually, have a, I'm starting a Hebrew seminar next week. I'm going. Yeah, no more bothering English speakers in Israel about my seminars because uh, we're going back to Hebrew. No offense to all the English speakers, but we're we're doing a whole campaign back to Hebrew, Israel, Israelis. And uh, but February 16th is Brooklyn and. Brooklyn, February 16th, and the 23rd is uh, Muncie. 23rd is men's, and women starts the 24th in Muncie. Shalom, everybody. Click on what you need to click on. Share. Shalom. Share. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.